So we're continuing on with our Corinthian series. Last week we took a break uh, to preach out of, uh, out of Romans chapter 8, out of the sovereignty of God, right? We need to know that, that God is in control, amen? So today we pick up where we left off a couple weeks ago in our Church Matters series. This part of Church Matters is talking about relationships, relationships. And this is critical because since discipleship is the central theme of Evergreen SUV, meaning discipleship touches everything that we do. And, and discipleship can be defined in this way, being in intentional relationships for becoming more like Christ. So since discipleship is central to our church and relationships are central to discipleship, we need to know how to thrive in our relationships. Amen? And so Paul gives us some very practical relational teachings coming from uh, chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. And some of the topics that we're going to discuss are how the local church relates to their pastors. Or how about how the local church is able to love one another? All right? How about how, how the Paul teaches about singleness even? And so today we're focusing on marriage. Next week we'll focus on marriage and divorce. This week we'll be focusing on sex and marriage. All right? So this is a very foundational teaching that we need to know about. And so just a little bit of review. It's been a few weeks since we've been in Corinthians, but chapters 5 and 6, we're in chapter 7, but backing up two chapters, chapter 5 and 6 talked about immorality in the Corinthian church. I mean, there are, there are topics such as incest, fornication, homosexuality. Chapter 6 ended with the topic of prostitution. So this is where we're going to read here a few verses and out of 1 Corinthians, and hopefully that little bit of context will frame up this reading here. So if you're able to, please rise again. We do this to honor God's word. We do this to acknowledge to God and to one another that we treasure having God's word at our fingertips. Okay? So read along. I'll be reading out of, out of the NASB version. This is the version that I preach out of 1 Corinthians chapter 7, 1 through 9. Paul writes, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Verse 6. But this I say by way of concession, not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Finishing up verse 9. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Jesus, thank you for your word. Help us to understand what you're saying so that we will know you more and love you more. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. 
Thank you for all the transitions. Of, uh, you know, I think this is kind of good to be able to stand up, sit down. It kind of keeps us involved and keeps us engaged and interact with the service. But starting into our ser- sermon now, Satan, Satan, the enemy, hijacks the good things that God's given us. And he corrupts good things and turns them into bad. So, for example, today's topic about sex, he has corrupted that. So many of us may feel that this topic is a very, maybe, bad topic. It maybe makes you feel uncomfortable. You know, just like in the culture of Corinth, the Corinthian culture was steeped in immorality. So the people of Corinth saw this issue as being a very negative thing. And in America, in the West, I mean, we do live in a pornographic culture. I mean, this is rampant. Satan has corrupted what is good and made it feel very bad. I mean, millions of sites. According to the Marta Group and Covenant Eyes, there's 42 million pornographic sites. 42 million. Maybe since then it's grown. I mean, generates this industry generates more revenue than NFL, NBA, and Major League Baseball combined. Are you kidding me? More revenue than ABC, CBS, and NBC networks. I mean, this is a massive industry. What does that mean? That means that this is a profitable industry as well. That means that there, there's interest from men and also from women. So therefore, I believe we need to really teach on this. And this is the beauty of sequential exposition. What does that mean? This is when you just simply go down to text. Last week we're in chapter 6. This week we're in chapter 7. And we'll pick up on, at, at verse 10 of chapter 7 next week. So whenever there's sequential preaching, the Lord is able to instruct the church. And this doesn't go off of my preference or anything like that. This is just going off what the Lord has for us. And so first, the Corinthian church had two extremes. Two extremes. One extreme was immorality. I mean, there are some things that the church was a part of where Paul had to address earlier. And the other extreme, the, pen, the pendulum has swung where people were like, you're right, Paul. This is wrong. And so from one extreme is to participate in immorality. The other extreme was to completely abstain. Like, you know what? This whole thing about sex is wrong. I, I'm not going to even participate in this thing ever again. So Paul was trying to get a right balance here, proper view, so that they know what is good and what is wrong. And so today... We're attempting through the scriptures to reclaim what is good. And so we're going to, just so we're a little bit more discreet, and uh, we, I understand we're a mixed company, and so when we talk about sex, we're going to refer to it as marriage oneness, okay? So you're going to hear that over and over, marriage oneness, marriage oneness, and this is going to be through all the, the main points. But marriage oneness is, is what we're going to be uh, referring to. So just so you can follow along a little bit easier, I think it's important for us to follow along. Verses 1 through four, we're going to lay down some foundational teachings on marriage oneness. And then from five through nine, we're going to give some application. I believe Paul gives us some distinct application here, right? But one through four, just to give you a heads up, I'll give you the main points right now so we could just, so you could follow along easier. Marriage oneness is exclusive. Point one, marriage one is selfless. Point number two. Point number three, marriage oneness is safe. All right, just so you guys can follow along, don't worry, I'll repeat these things. So, 
So I'll, so let's follow along. So if you have your apps, as Pastor Marco has been talking about, you can follow along, type in these notes, and, and have a really robust uh, documentation of, of the sermons as we go from week to week out of Corinthians. So one of my favorite pastors, John Piper is his name. I'm sure many of us have heard of him. He was, he's, he has a ministry called Desiring God. It's just, so you can look it up on the website. He's a phenomenal teacher. Gifted and just he, his whole thing is about just desiring and treasuring Christ as, as the, our greatest treasure. And he has a segment called Ask Pastor John. So you could Google something like that, you'll find some questions. In essence, people who ask him questions about certain topics, all kinds of to- topics. And it's a phenomenal resource. You can almost ask him anything. And he gives biblical responses to the questions that people may have. Now, looking at verse 1 here, this is what happened in Corinth. Bible says, at chapter 7, verse 1, Now concerning things about which you wrote. So they did the same thing. It wasn't ask Pastor John, it was ask Pastor Paul here, where the Corinthian church wrote Paul a letter and had a laundry list of things to discuss. Please explain this. Please give us clarity on this. What about this issue? And so right here, Paul is going to address and clarify the first thing on his list. Perhaps this is at the top of the list. And it says this at a verse 1. It is good for a man not to touch a woman. I believe Paul's referencing what they're asking about right here. This is not necessarily Paul's idea, but he's saying, now concerning point number one, what you asked me about. And so this is basically a discreet way for Paul to say it's sex, right? This is euphemism. This is a euphemism for a man not to touch a woman. And it says... This may have communicated some of the value system of the Corinthians. It says this, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. This word good, kalos in the original language, carried this meaning of just morally good. More spiritual, perhaps. It is more spiritual for a man not to touch a woman. More profitable for a man not to touch a woman. This is what Paul is addressing right here. And so this is the first topic, and what is Paul's response? What is Paul's response here? So we're going to go to point number one. What is, the meaning, what is marriage oneness? Point number one, marriage oneness is exclusive. Fill, it in, fill in the blank, exclusive. Marriage oneness is, is exclusive. Verse number two, verse two says, But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, And each woman is to have her own husband because of immoralities. Paul's saying is like this is a natural desire for men and women to have. This is good. This is what God has put in us. As as Brother Harvey read, this is natural. This is good. This is how Adam and Eve were designed from the very beginning. So Paul's saying to avoid immoralities. You need to be in an exclusive marriage relationship. And I know our culture is absolutely confused about marriages, right? But Paul is very clear. He talks about one man, one woman. One man, one woman, one woman, one man. This is what marriage is. Each man is to have his own wife. Each woman is to have her own husband. So at a... Genesis 2, 24, 25, what Brother Harvey read, I'll just read it again, just so that we hear it again. This is from God, from the very beginning, in the beginning. 
Verse 24 out of Genesis 2 says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. This meaning of join is like the picture could be cleaved and stuck together. I heard this illustration as if like two pieces of metal are welded together with intense heat. With intense heat, two becomes one. They shall be joined and become one flesh, the Bible says. And, and the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is marriage. God invented marriage. And God has designed marriage oneness to be involved in this exclusive relationship. And this says, the Bible says, they're naked, they were not ashamed. God purposefully put this in here in Genesis 25 to let us know this is a good thing in this exclusive relationship. So for, to, for the church today, you'd be like, yes, pastor, we know this. We've heard this over and over. But in Corinth, this is jaw-dropping. Like, what? Right? Like, what are you talking about, Paul? This is very controversial, what Paul was saying in the time of Corinth 2,000 years ago. Let me explain. There was double standards with men and women in Corinth. What was acceptable was unacceptable. For example, men who had wives had wives so that they could have children. So it's important to be able to continue the line. This is an important thing. However, so that's what marriage was for, to continue to have children, to continue the, the family line. But in the area of pleasure, that's what prostitutes and concubines are for. Now, could a woman get away with this? Absolutely not. You know, this is a, definitely a double standard. And so when Paul says this, a man should have one wife and a wife should have one husband, this was very, very much a new idea here for the Corinthian church. And so this is a groundbreaking statement. This is an exclusive relationship Paul is talking about. Marriage. And... The Bible gives us purpose in here, like where, uh, what marriage oneness is for. Number one, Genesis 1, 28 says to be fruitful and to multiply. The Corinthians wouldn't have an issue with this, is to procreate. That's one of the reasons for marriage oneness. We understand this. We, we continue on with generation after generation. That's how you and I are here. The second purpose for marriage oneness, you could read this on your own, Proverbs 5, 18 to 19. Proverbs 5, 18 through 19, or Songs of Solomon. You have time to read through the book of Songs of Solomon. The Lord talks about marriage oneness is for pleasure. Pleasure, right? And, and, and for enjoyment. So right here, Paul is telling the men and the women to come together in marriage oneness for a variety of reasons. Men, you are no longer to look at your wife for this purpose and other people for this purpose. It's all in one. It's your wife. So this is a very much a revolutionary idea. And, and the third reason for marriage oneness is for protection. Because it says, uh, verse 2 starts off, because, but because of immoralities. Marriage oneness is to protect one another from unnecessary temptation. All right? So sex is for marriage. This is clearly, and it is good. And marriage oneness is, is exclusive. Let's go to point number two. What else is marriage oneness for? Marriage oneness, marriage oneness is selfless. Selfless, fill in the blank, selfless. Since it is an exclusive uh, uh, relationship, 
the man or the woman, they only could go to one other partner on the planet to fulfill this, uh, this action. It becomes, it, the interest may have grown for one side, one party. Maybe the husband is, able to, is pursuing the wife more now because of this in the Corinthian church. And so Paul is trying to lay down the heart behind all this. Verse 3 right here says this. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife. All right? And also, and likewise, also the wife to her husband. This idea of fulfilling his duty or her duty means to repay. Gordon Fee, a, 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 a theologian who wrote an excellent commentary in 1 Corinthians, refers to this fulfilling his duty or her duty as the, the payment to what is due. As if there's some kind of an agreement. When, when, when there's an exclusive relationship that takes place in marriage, there's an agreement between husband and wife. This is how I serve you. This is how, I, how I'll serve you. This is how, it's a promise. So when it says to fulfill his duty, there's like a sense of obligation here. There's a sense of commitment here. All right? Meaning thinking of your needs. And so selfless service mentality needs to be involved in marriage oneness. This is the heart of marriage oneness. To serve one another selflessly. I'm thinking about what you need and vice versa. And this was another groundbreaking statement by Paul. <laughs> so it's like, what are you saying, Paul? You're taking this to another level. What? You, I'm supposed to be exclusive with my wife? And not only that, I, I need to be seen as serving her, and my wife needs to be seen as serving me. This is basically making the husband and wife equal. This is a big statement in, in the time of Corinth. This is very countercultural. So this is, Paul is call, calling for mutual, selfless service to one another. Now, as I was praying through and thinking about this, all right, okay, I, I got this. You know, you're supposed to serve one another. This should be a posture to our spouses. And to those who are thinking about getting married someday, this is the posture that you have for, for your future spouse. This is what came to my mind. Love is the issue, all right? What do you mean by that, Pastor? Love is the motivation to serve, amen? This is, I, although it is an obligation, although it's a commitment, this is an opportunity for me to serve my wife, my, my wife to serve me. Because we will serve, hear this now, this is a true statement. We will serve whoever or whatever we love the most. Whoever captures your heart the most is who you would want to serve. This is how this works. C.S. Lewis, you know, it's, it's great. We have so many gifts to the church. C.S. Lewis, a writer from the past, writes this in his book, The Four Loves. He says, lust is going after the body. So we're not talking about lust here. But love is going after the person. This is what Paul is talking about. Paul is telling us to go after the person. Go after your spouse. Go after them. Pursue them. Love them. Serve them. I mean, I'm growing in this area too. This is an area that I've been growing in. The Lord's been humbling me. And, and, and so I think to myself, how do I do this better? Maybe you're sitting there right now thinking to yourself, whether you're online or here with the leaves on the grass, like, how do I do this better? Pastor, tell me how to do this better. 
Well, we've been, as you know, our church family has been committed towards uh, developing biblical counseling here at Evergreen SUV. We want to minister the word. We want to minister God's word so that we understand God more and we understand ourselves more. And David Paulison is a very renowned figure in biblical counseling. And he was talking about rebuilding intimacy. And I heard this talk by him. And he said breakdowns happen in relationships when... One or both of the spouses are preoccupied someplace else. Their mind and their heart is someplace else. I mean, you may be physically be there, physically be present with one another, doing life together, but your heart and mind is, is captured someplace else. And so when he says when this happens, this relational intimacy is separated. You may be able to do life together, but in terms of being connected at the heart level, that's not there. And so he talked about how do we cultivate some of these things. I thought these things were helpful for me too. And then I want to offer these things up to help cultivate greater love, greater intimacy between partners. All right. He said talking about the things that matter. All right. So these are some of the questions to kind of enter into these sacred spaces. Right. We want to get into sacred space with our spouses. Number one. He said just simple questions like, what are your burdens? What are your burdens? All right? And he suggested making sure that the spouse isn't the source of your own burden, but to share, you start with yourself, share your burdens without pointing the finger, in other words. All right? But just take the time to find out what is troubling you. What are the issues going on in our lives, your life? Number two. What are your greatest joys today? What excited you? What inspired you today? What lit you up today? What did you see that or do get to do that was so exciting for you? Just taking the time to hear from your spouse in this way. Very simple, right? Very fundamental things. Or number three, where are you going? Like, are you doing what you want to do in life? Are you doing what you're called to do? Like kind of the big mission in life idea, but also the men, mundane things. What did you do today? What do you want to get done today? Right? Just taking the time to understand. This communicates love. This communicates love, Paulus is saying. This communicates and fosters intimacy as you start growing into sacred space. Now, you may be sitting there like, man, we're not there. He, he offers some good advice. He goes, Start small. <laughs> just start small. Start asking questions. Just start engaging in that way and cultivate that sort of a culture, so that sort of a relationship. So marriage oneness is selfless. And in essence, what David Paulson is saying is basically is this. Selflessness is thinking about others, right? Instead of being so self-absorbed, my needs, what I'm thinking, I'm preoccupied with my world. It's our world. How are you doing? Let me into your world. Let me draw out the things that are deep in your heart. Selfless. Marriage oneness is selfless, all right? Let's go to the third point. What else is marriage oneness? Marriage oneness is safe. Safe. Fill it in. Safe. S-A-F-E. Safe. Safe. In verse 4, let me read verse 4 for us. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. So that the Corinthians would be saying, like, okay, what's new about that? All right? The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Right? They would say, okay, Pastor Paul, I already understand this. However, this is the next part that's just jaw-dropping. 
And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. That's like, what? What are you talking about, Pastor? This was completely, I just want to just keep pointing out the fact how Paul was continually trying to raise up men and women. How in Christ we're equal. And so basically, he's saying we, this is a mutual submission. Marriage oneness is the husband submitting to the wife and the wife submitting to the husband. This is mutual, uh, mutual submission. And this was just absolutely stunning for the, for, for the Corinthians. right? It's like, wow. Now today, let's think about ourselves today in the culture today. Maybe you're saying, of course, pastor. Of course, Rocky. Like, of course, men and women are equal. Well, perhaps maybe we need to ha- bring it back down to a, a balanced level. You know, like our culture is, is just dominated with the battle of the sexes. It's just a constant struggle for power, for control. It's constant. I mean, you hear it everywhere. Billboards, even everything. There's a lot of messaging constantly from commercials to other things. Constantly, we're seeing this. So sex must not be used as a tool of manipulation to control your spouse. To punish your spouse, whatever that may be, that is a form of power and control, manipulation. That is not submitting to one another. That is not that. Marriage oneness is not meant to be used as a weapon, right? Marriage oneness is safe because, number one, we're completely surrendered to one another. I totally give myself to you, you totally give yourself to me. It's safe. Another reason why marriage oneness is safe is this, because the Bible is saying right here that the husband and wife are completely equal. Now, I get it. Ephesians 5 has distinct roles in marriage. Clear about that. Obviously, the husband serves as a leader of their home, and wives lovingly submit. But roles do not equate to value. We've got to remember that. That's just roles that we have. These are just uh, things that God has called us to serve in these unique ways. But in terms of value, equal. Equal value. So when this happens, trust is established at the deepest level. Right? This is, this is talk, talking about trust. So that nothing gets in the way. I mean, next to Christ, your relationship to your spouse is the most important relationship on the planet. Period. No one gets in the way. Not parents. No other friendships. Not career, nor jobs. Not even our own children get in, the, get in between that relationship. Next to Christ, our husbands or our wives are our primary relationship. All right? So this is when marriage oneness is safe. It's secure. There's no jockeying for, of power. There's no manipulation. As if we're in it together. Tim Keller, I thought this quote was very helpful. Tim Keller, a, a pastor, uh, author, theologian, writes, Sex is a way to, to say to somebody else, I belong completely and exclusively to you. And if you use it to say anything else, it's a lie. Continue on. God said sex is a way to give yourself totally to someone else and to say I belong completely and totally and exclusively to you. Close quote. That's why when, Gen- when Brother Harvey read Genesis 2.24, 
That means, that, but where, where the Lord says the two were joined together and become one flesh, this is what this is talking about. This is a complete sub- mutual submission to one another. Okay, so these are some foundational teachings on marriage. Marriage oneness is exclusive. Marriage oneness is selfless. And marriage oneness is safe. Now, Paul gives us some application here. Okay, he gives us some action items here, and I want to make sure I get to them. So this next segment here, we're going to apply what Paul is saying here. Verse 5 here. First application. Stop depriving one another. Okay, stop depriving one another. What does that mean? This word deprive is very distinct here. It means to stop defrauding one another. In chapter 6, verse 8, this is the same word that was used when the Corinthians were, uh, were defrauding and cheating each other in the, court of, in, law courts, in the law court. And so Paul is saying, stop depriving one another. Stop defrauding one Stop stealing or being negligent in your marital commitment to one another. And so the first point is, in marriage, sex is normalized. All right? It's normal. Sex is normal. Excuse me. Normal. It's just absolutely normal. And only reason to stop is if you want to prioritize your relationship with God. Let me just read verse 5. Except by agreement. Stop depriving one another except by agreement for a time. Not for the whole time, but for a limited time. Why? So that you may devote yourself to prayer. See that? So that we could commit ourselves to focusing on our relationship, our number one relationship with God. But, but this is only for a short time. And this is when both parties need to agree to this. And it says, and come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. This is for a short time, the Bible says here. And it's just so that you could uh, 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 prioritize your relationship with God. It's kind of like fasting, right? This is kind of like fasting, the idea of fasting. Let's fast from this area together. Let's have a mutual agreement so that we can seek after the Lord together. That's point number one. It's this the marriage oneness is normal, right? Point number two, application. Singleness is a gift. Look, let me read with me verse six here. But this I say by way of concession, not a command. Paul isn't saying you have to get married now. Paul isn't saying you need to be married to be spiritual. He's saying, I say this because to give you an an opportunity, but I'm not commanding you to be married. Verse 7 says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God. What are those gifts, Paul? One in this manner and another in that. One in marriage. Some people are gifted in marriage. Some people are gifted in singleness. So this word gift, it's important to understand the original language. It's charisma. This is the same word. It relates to the word grace. This is the word grace gift. That means single. If you are single and you're called to a life of singleness, that's a unique gift. Statistically, most people get married. That's just how it is. But if you are called to a life of singleness, this is a gift. This is a gift, the Bible says. And this means that you, just, you may not have the desire for getting married. Nothing wrong with you. Like, why, why don't I desire to get married? Well, that God gave you a gift. That means that this, this, uh, this sexual desire is controllable for you. That is a gift. This is what Paul is saying here. And marriage is not a requirement for spirituality. I mean, maybe in some Christian circles, 
you know, singles could be treated as second-class citizens sometimes, right? That's not the case. Paul is saying not so. Look at in verse 8. But I say to the unmarried, those who were once married, these are people who, who, who've been divorced or separated, and to widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I. Paul is saying he's single. Paul is saying he's single right there. So if, if you're gifted with singleness, embrace it. Embrace it. We embrace you. This is what God says in his word, that singleness is a very unique gift. Now, we have more teaching on singleness in a couple of weeks. As the end of chapter 7, Paul just pours into this idea of singleness. So we'll spend more time preaching on singleness in a few weeks. Well, let's get to the final point of application here. Point number three, read verse nine with me. Final verse here, guys. But if they do not have self-control, what does he say? Let them marry. For it is better to marry than to burn with passion. All right? Let's just say you are single, no matter what the circumstance, and you do have a desire to get married. That's a good desire. This is a good desire. After all, God invented marriage. God invented marriage oneness. And But perhaps a single season of singleness, there's a big purpose here. Because remember what we went through right now. This is a full-on commitment that we're, you're praying for right now. Are you? Let me ask some questions. Some of my single brothers and sisters who desire to be married someday. Are you ready to, ready to be totally submitted to another person? Are you ready for that? How about this? Are you ready to be totally selfless towards another right now? All right? So that you could be in an exclusive relationship with another person. I mean, that's a big commitment. So perhaps the Lord is preparing you for that. Just to be married isn't good enough. You want to be good for your spouse and vice versa. You want your spouse to be good for you. Perhaps the Lord is preparing you to serve your spouse well. And perhaps your spouse is being prepared to serve you well in an exclusive relationship. Now, my exhortation in the meantime, as your pastor, is this. Maintain purity. Maintain purity in the meantime, all right? The desires that you may have for for a relationship, also for marriage oneness is a good desire, but maintain purity. Be open with other brothers and sisters. Fight the good fight. Maintain purity. And... I heard this in a sermon, an illustration. Sex is like fire, this man said. In its proper place, in the fireplace, it's a good thing. It provides warmth. It provides heat. It's comforting. It's a good thing. In marriage, it's a good thing. It's a great thing. But outside the fireplace, outside of marriage, it could burn down the whole house could be one of the greatest uh, greatest destructions in your life. There's consequences to these things, right? Now, if you stumbled in this area, repent. There's grace. Move on, you know? And this is how it works. This is grace. But just understand the dangers of this. Perhaps the Lord is preparing you for your spouse right now. And this is a good season. This is a good season to be ready. You want to be right for when when the time comes. So in conclusion, I just want to finish up this message here on marriage oneness. Marriage oneness is good. And in marriage oneness is basically our relationship with Christ. 
This is a picture of our union with Christ. I mean, think about it. Christ is exclusive with his church. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Amen? This is how we want to be for our spouse. Christ is selfless with us as he died on the cross to serve us so that we could be in union with him. And we know that we're absolutely safe with Christ. This is marriage oneness. And I hope that this is not only enhances our marriage relationships or, and prepares us for future marriage, perhaps, or gives us contentment in our singleness, but I hope this draws us even closer to giving us another picture that God's given us of our union with Christ. At the end of the day, Christ is the one that we're united with. Christ is the one that will never leave us or forsake us. Christ is the one who gives us our greatest desires and fulfills us at, at the deepest levels. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for this time to preach your word. Thank you for 1 Corinthians, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for even the hard things that Paul had to address in Corinth, where 2,000 years later we're able to benefit from these things. As Paul was penning these things, he might have been thinking, why am I writing these things? But Lord, looking backwards, the church in 2020, we could look, or 2021, we could look back and say, wow, thank you, Lord, for allowing Paul to write these things and moving him to give specific instructions. How practical is your word, Lord? But Lord, I pray that we're just not looking for practicality as we're seeking you through your word. But I pray, Lord, that we would desire to know you more, Lord, to love you more, to be in a more intimate relationship with you, Lord. And so, Father, I know for the more intimate we are with you, the more intimate we'll be able to be with our spouses and our other relationships. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our best friend. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our most faithful God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.